are you? Oh, real human beings. You are alive? I cannot, I cannot describe to you how uninteractive it is to speak to a camera. And I am so excited that you are breathing, hopefully into your mask and not onto anyone else. But you're in this room. You are, uh, you could do anything today and I will love you. You could fall asleep on me and I will love you for being here, okay? That's not an excuse to fall asleep, but I'm just letting you know that that is what you could do. I am also so glad you are online right now too. And our hearts do go out to everybody here. We know that right now this vaccine pass is not ideal. It is something that we understand. We know that a number of you watching are not able to attend in-person services right now. And we love you. You are a part of church. We are church both here and online. In fact, why doesn't everybody turn around, stare at the camera that is right there, and give everybody a wave and say, hey, I love you. I love you. Right. And I know because I know cameras, they're waving back. I can tell that. I can tell that. I'm, I'm so excited. I, uh, as I was praying about how do we come together today on this day where we reopen for in-person services, I, I felt strongly the Holy Spirit say, just put on pause the, the Acts series, our, our series called The Unfinished Story. We're going to put that on pause for a few weeks because I, I wanted to speak into some things that I think are really important for us to grapple with, wrestle with, as we come back into this emerging out of the fifth wave that we've all been battling right here. And I'm calling this, I'm going to do three weeks with you back to back on this. And we're calling it Reopened. And I know that sounds cheesy because we're reopening right now. And we're reopening as a society. But here's my thought for each one of us. The worst thing that can happen is that we reopen our society with closed hearts. And I don't know about you, but it's been a pretty rough two or three months been some pretty tough things that have happened. There's been a lot of emotions that I'm sure you in this room are holding. I'll be honest, there's been a lot of emotions in me which you would perhaps classify as not particularly godly. There's things I've struggled with, anger I've wrestled with, opinions that I've had about people, judgments that I've made about the government and things around me. There is stuff that has gone on in my heart and the worst thing that could happen is to think that we're now reopened and yet there's closure in here. And so I want to take this next three weeks to speak to you about how you need to reopen your spirit as we emerge out of the fifth wave. Because what I do not want as a church, and by that I mean the big C, the church of Hong Kong, to be filled with people who are happy that the restrictions are down, but are still angry and bitter at everything else. I think we need a revival in our spirits and we need to be opened again to the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in this here and this now. And is anybody here? Cameras do not say amen. Just pointing that out at the start of my message in case you want to not be a camera today. In Jesus' name. I'm going to go to, <laughs> I want to frame what I'm speaking about today by reading one of my favorite passages of, of Scripture. It's a story from Luke. Luke is the master storyteller. I preach a lot from the Gospel of Luke. And I want to preach from my favorite story in Luke. I'm like, this is my first Sunday back to preach to real human beings. I'm going to go to my favorite story and preach the heck out of it. Are you all right with that? Okay. So... 
Luke 7, starting at verse 36, says this. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her long hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, this is what he said to himself. Well, if this man was truly a prophet, he would know who it is that is touching him right now, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Not the first time in history that a man has judged a woman. Jesus answered her, Simon, I've got something to tell you. You know you're in trouble with Jesus when he says something like that to you, by the way. Andrew, I've got something to tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you a story, Andrew, about your life, right? Simon, I've got something to tell you. Teach me, or tell me, teacher, he said. Well, there are two men, and they owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay them back. So he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, here's the question. Which of them will love him more? Simon reluctantly, perhaps, replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I ended has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, notice this, she has and had many sins. There are many sins. They are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, note this, loves little. Then Jesus said these words to her, your sins are forgiven. Father, as we open up this passage this morning, I am so grateful that we are emerging here in this fifth wave, that we are reopening society. We're grateful that we can gather in person in this room as well as online in this moment. But Father, we want to capture what is on your heart in this season and in this time. Lord, I believe you've got a word in season for us as a church. And as we open up this incredible story of a woman, Father, I want to pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, I believe that each one of us, myself included in this room, we need to be reopened today to your tender and yet focused move of your spirit in us. Father, would you come by your spirit, move upon us all and we thank you for this. And everybody in the room and online says, When I was nine years old, I woke up in the middle of the night with the worst stomach ache I had ever experienced. It was excruciating pain. It was so painful that I wondered whether I would still be able to continue to breathe. And it was the middle of the night and my parents' bedroom was down the corridor from mine and I, 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 I fell out of bed and I walked as gingerly like this as possible to my parents' bedroom. 
I opened the door and I walked in and my mom's there snoring. And I shake her and she grudgingly kind of like wakes up and I'm like, Mom, my stomach's on fire. Now, if you're a parent in this room, you will know that there is a universal thing that takes place in kids when they want to get a day off school. And that universal thing is to pretend they have a stomachache because you can never prove whether they have the stomachache or not. And it's a good one for kids. And parents know this the world over. And at in midnight, my mom turns over through her sleepy eyes and she says, Ugh. she was at the first service, by the way, it was classic. Anyway, Andrew, if you're still feeling funny in the morning, we'll talk about it then. I get back to my bedroom for an hour. I try to sleep. I can't sleep. My stomach is literally on fire. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm in so much pain. About an hour later, I, I fall out of the bed. This time, I crawl to my parents' bedroom. I open the door. I scream as loud as I can and dramatically fall on my back in the middle of the bedroom. My parents figure that there must be actually something wrong with me. So they scoop me up in their hands. They go to the car. We drive to the nearest hospital, to the A&E. The doctor takes one look at me, and he goes, I think you've got a problem with your appendix. And my parents are like, I guess it's not about school. <laughs> and the doctor said, we're going to have to take you now into emergency surgery. And they give me this drug called codeine, which is supposed to kill pain, but it made me feel even weirder and worse, and they rush me straight into surgery. They remove my appendix. They zip me back up. Apparently, they said to my parents just a little bit later that if they hadn't removed my appendix that hour, I would have died because it would have ruptured. A couple of hours later, I wake up in the hospital room and minus my appendix, and I'm still in a huge amount of pain. And I'm still feeling really strange. And there's just a lot of pain in this air. And I say to the doctors, I'm still in pain. And they think that's weird. And so they're like, well, give them some more codeine, this drug. And so they pump more codeine into me. Now, I suddenly find out a few hours later that I'm allergic to codeine. Now, this is the thing about allergies. What is it about? Why did God create allergies? Okay, Here's the weird thing about allergies. You only know you're allergic when you actually have the thing that you're allergic to. Are you with me? Like babies should be born with a list. Here are all the things Andrew is allergic to. Please avoid these for the rest of his life. That's not the way it works, right? So they pump all this drug into me, this codeine, and I'm, my body's allergic to it. We didn't know it. We find that out. My whole body erupts in, in pain, ejecting this drug. And what should have been a relatively easy fix meant that there was so much trauma in the area that my appendix had been in and in the drugs that had been now in my system that I was for five days in desperate fight for my life. My, my mom and dad would visit me in the hospital and I would walk down to try to get some exercise when I was feeling up to it. I had my IV drip and I was wearing one of those smocks that has open in the back, right? It wasn't a good sign. I was nine years old walking around the hospital. My parents thought I was an old man. They walked past me the first time they came to visit me. I was in so much pain. There was so much need for healing in the trauma of the area where the appendix had been removed. 
Well, after about six days or so, I was released from the hospital and I went home, but I still wasn't feeling myself. And it was about another month or so before I returned to my full health, before I really felt like myself again. The whole experiencing experience was absolutely harrowing. It was a harrowing experience, but I learned in it a valuable life lesson. And as I was praying about what it is that we need to talk about, that we need to speak about as we reopen our in-person services, as the, the, the city reopens out of this fifth wave, it was this life lesson that the Lord led me to. And it's a life lesson I want to share with you now. It's this, that the removal of the problem is not necessarily the healing. Come on, church. The removal of the problem is not necessarily the healing. For, for, for the appendix, which had almost ruptured, that was inflamed and was bad, needed to be removed from me, and it was, but that wasn't actually the fullness of my healing. And that appendix had created so much trauma in the other organs around it, and the drugs that they had put in me had created such a dramatic experience in me that my healing journey was a much longer journey than simply removing the one thing that was the problem that had kick-started all the things that were happening in my body. And I, and I realized in that experience that so often we forget this in life. We think that if we just remove the problem, then everything else is going to go fine. That we don't realize that actually when the appendix is taken, there's still a journey of dealing with the trauma that is inside of us. We, we, we need to understand that the experience of our healing and the place of our hope is not found in the removal of the problem. It's found in processing the trauma caused by the problem. Come on, cameras, wake up. I need you with me. Amen? It's actually found in the processing of the trauma that the problem caused in the first place. And, and, and we gather here today. Man, I'm excited. We're celebrating. We're celebrating that because of the lifting of some, some social distancing measures, we're able now to gather in person if we're vaccinated. We're celebrating the reality that, that actually the government is changing some of the travel restrictions, that we only have seven days now in quarantine rather than 21. Going to have an amen for that. We just heard this week, come on babies, we just heard this week that in May, foreigners will be able to come to Hong Kong. So if you've got family that live overseas, they can now come to Hong Kong if they're willing to have seven days in a hotel and be a part of us again. That's good news. We're also knowing and seeing that COVID cases are coming down every day. We're now just seeing a couple of hundred cases. That's a great thing. A lot of businesses have reopened, and this is so good. We have a lot of small business owners in our community here at The Vine, people that own gyms and restaurants. Those things now are open again. Restaurants can go into the night. We can all eat dinner together again. Four of us looking at each other in the eyes without masks. This is all good stuff that we celebrate, but here's the danger. The danger is, in all of that celebration, we think that the removal of the problem is where our healing happens. It's where we think that if, if, if Hong Kong can just lift the social distancing restrictions, if COVID could just go away, then I will enter back into another stage of flourishing of life. And the reality is, there's trauma you need to process. The reality is, there's stuff that's going on in each one of us. It's been a difficult three years. From the summer of 2019 to now, it's been a really hard time. And each one of us in this room, we, we're dealing with hardship. 
with anxiety, grief, things that we're struggling with, anger, frustration, fear. We're wondering where our future is. Some of us are wondering, do we stay in Hong Kong or not? We're wrestling with the government, wondering when things might change, when actually restrictions and things might shift. We're in a place where we're feeling all of those emotions, and we have to be super careful that we don't equate our flourishing to the decision of some change in some social distancing measures. Because if we do that, here's what will happen. We will reopen society with closed hearts. We will reopen Hong Kong with traumatic, broken people. People in desperate need of more than just less than 14 days in a hotel quarantine. People who are actually in need of the thing that we gather here today to celebrate. The Spirit of God working in us, renewing, redeeming, and filling us, and changing us. And the question we should have is, how do we receive that kind of healing? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to put a Band-Aid on my COVID trauma. I don't, I don't want to just think that I can zip it up, remove the appendix, and everything's going to be fine. I want to dig into the realities that I know that my emotions go deeper than that. I know the things that I've been frustrated and angry with go deeper than that. And Lord, if you don't heal that, I might be freer in society, but I am still bound in chains inside of me. I wonder if anybody else might feel a bit like that in the room today. How do we not put a Band-Aid on our COVID trauma? Well, I think the story we're looking at today gives us some answers to that. It's one of my favorite stories, as I said earlier. I love this moment. Luke is a master storyteller, and he tells this story so beautifully. It's a story of two individuals that could not be more different. We're introduced to the first. He's a Pharisee. His name is Simon. If you want to think about the male privilege of the first century, Simon is your man. He's a man of power in the story. He's a law-abiding Pharisee, a good guy. He's the guy that all the other Jews look up to and want to emulate. He's the person that people look to as the, the ones that will bring in the Messiah whenever the Messiah arrives. The Pharisees were, were loved for their obedience to the law and the way that they operated in society. And they were looked up to and worshipped. And here is Simon. He's opened up his home to welcome in this traveling rabbi, Jesus. And Luke contrasts this power man, Simon, with a woman. The woman is never named in the story. It's interesting, right? And Luke introduces us to her by telling us one simple thing. She had lived a sinful life in that town. That's the way he describes her. She's lived a sinful life in that town. Here's the thing you need to know. The word that Luke uses for sinful here is a rare word. There's actually a number of Greek words for sin or sinful. This one is one of the rarest words. And Luke, although he uses the word sin a lot in both Luke and Acts, it's only used twice. This particular version is only ever used twice by Luke. The other time that it's used, other than this story, is when Peter first comes into contact with Jesus. That moment when Peter's on the boat and they fished all night and Jesus is sitting there and he says, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And the fishermen, including Peter, are like, dude, we're the fishermen, you're a wandering rabbi. 
We've been fishing all night. What do you mean? He's like, just throw your nets on the other side. They throw their nets on the other side. They cannot pull the nets in because of the massive catch of fish. And here's Peter's reaction. He knows in that moment that this Jesus is who he says he is. He knows he's a prophet. He knows he's greater than anyone he's ever met. And Peter, sitting there facing Jesus, he says this. He says, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's the same word, sinful. The word in Greek means this. It means I recognize I've done some wrong things in the past and I have remorse of them. That's specifically what this word means. And Luke takes that word and applies it to the woman right up front because he's trying to teach you something. He wants you to know right at the start of his story that this woman has done some bad things in her past. She feels remorse for them and she is not now defined by them. He wants you not to judge her on the actions of her past. He wants you to see what she does in the present. And this is really interesting because church history has got this wrong. Church history that is mostly written by men have declared that this woman is a prostitute. That's what most commentaries will tell you if you read a commentary about this story. They'll say, well, this woman was obviously a prostitute. It's the same word applied to Peter. So are we saying that Peter's also a prostitute? Maybe. <laughs> it's my staff over there. So proud of them. So proud. Bible school. Um, so, but I want you to catch this, right? Catch this. Come with me. Luke is trying to tell this story so that we're not judging this woman based on some past expectation. There's nothing in this text that says she's a sexual sinner at all. It just says she's done some bad things in her past. She feels remorse for them. What he wants you to focus on is what she does in that moment. And in verses 37 and 38, he unpacks that for you. He says, oh, she comes in. She hears Jesus is in town. She rushes into the house. She's not invited. She goes straight in and she goes to his feet because he's reclining at a table and she wets his feet with her tears and she wipes them with her hair and she kisses him all the time on her feet, on his feet. And she pours this expensive perfume on him. Why? Because she's worshiping. She's not doing something sexual. She's not trying to seduce him. She's not trying to be intimate. This is worship, gratitude, the expression of the love that is so abundant that she will break tradition. She wasn't supposed to be in the room. She was not invited as a woman to that room. She did not care because she had to say thank you. I love it. Church history calls her the sinful woman. I refuse to call somebody the name of something they've done in the past, but I want to call people based on who they are today. She's not the sinful woman. She's the anointing woman. Are you with me? Can we hear her roar? Simon failed to hear her roar. Simon, in fact, saw what she did. And although he doesn't say anything out loud, Luke captures for us what he says in his head. He basically goes like this. He's like, I can't believe this woman. I mean, I mean, if Jesus truly was a prophet, if this guy really was who he claims to be, who the crowds claim him to be, he would know the kind of woman that is touching his feet right now. He would know that she is a sinner. Which is really interesting because Simon in that moment 
is not just judging the woman based on her past behavior or her reputation in the town. He's judging Jesus as well. Are you following with me? He's judging both people in the same time. He's cynical, he's judgmental, and he's reaching out in that negative judgmentalism. And Jesus knows this, which is the irony of the story. The man doesn't think that Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is about to prove that he really is a prophet because he knows exactly what Simon's thinking. And you need to understand this, that the sinner at this meal is not the woman but it's Simon. Because Simon is the one who's judging. Simon is the one who's feeling pride in his heart. Simon is the one who's casting judgment on somebody's actions. And Jesus understands all of this. And so Jesus does whatever Jesus does best. And that is, let me tell you a story. And he tells him this story about this guy, this money, money lender. He gives out this money and there's this big debt and small debt. And then he cancels the debts of everybody he's given money to. And he asks Simon, who is going to be more happy? Who is going to love this money lender more? And Simon, by this point, realizes he is in a corner. He realizes Jesus has got the better of him. And he says to him, well, I suppose the one who got the greater debt canceled. And Jesus says these cheeky words. This is cheeky Jesus. I love cheeky Jesus. Jesus says this, you have judged correctly for the first time tonight because you've been judging incorrectly the whole evening. But now you judge correctly. And in judging correctly, Simon, you've sealed your fate. Because Jesus says, do you see this woman? He's not going, do you see this woman? He's going, what do you see when you see this woman? Do you see her reputation? Do you see the things that you think that she's done? Or do you see what she has done in this moment? And it's powerful because he, he, he goes into exactly what she's done. Let me read this to you in verses 44 to 46. Is everybody okay? Yeah. Online, are you okay? Oh, good. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. He goes through this list of things that Simon could have done for him, but did not do. Now, it's really important you understand that Simon was under no legal obligation to do any of those things. There was no legal obligation because he's a Pharisee. If there had been a legal obligation, he would have done it. There's no legal obligation for him to treat a guest that way. Oh, here's a bowl for your feet. Oh, mwah, mwah, give you a kiss on the entry. Oh, let me put some oil in your hair because you've been out in the dusty Galilee all day, right? A, a host would do those things if they truly honored and valued the guests they were inviting to their dinner. It wasn't this standard thing. It was the above and beyond. Simon is pictured here basically two things, doing the bare minimum of, of the law to keep the law, and secondly, not valuing or understanding who Jesus is. So when Jesus says, do you see this woman? What Jesus is actually also saying to Simon is, because she sees me. She understands the value. She understands what I have done for her. She understands all of the things that I am about to do for Israel. You failed to do that because you did not give me a water. You did not give me a kiss. You gave me no perfume on entry. You, you did not do any of the things that you would have done if you believed that somebody of honor and worth and value had entered your house. 
And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why does Simon, the law-abiding Pharisee, get it all wrong, but the woman who's lived a life of sin get it all right? And the answer to that is found in her healing. Because she understands that the removal of a problem is not necessarily always the healing. Notice where her healing comes from. Here's Jesus beautifully in verse 46 and seven, uh, 47 and 8. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus makes this incredible connection for this woman here. He says, you want to know why she's doing those things? She's doing them because she has experienced forgiveness. And not just experienced forgiveness, but experienced forgiveness at such a deep level that it is literally transformed and renewed her identity in her life. She is not the same person that she was a month ago, two months ago, five months ago, a year ago. Yes, she has lived a hard life. Yes, she has made some mistakes but she is remorseful for them. Why? Because she's understood there's a God who forgives and redeems and restores and renews. And she's allowed that forgiveness not to put a band-aid over her sin, but to come and gouge out the trauma of her life so that she's so new and restored that she's willing to bust into a house that she was not invited to. She's willing to go in front of a Pharisee who's supposed to be the person in power and humble herself and worship Jesus. She is so forgiven that she is able to love. And Jesus is saying to Simon, can you love like that? Jesus says these words to her. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's tempting when we read that to think that because of her actions in that moment, Jesus declares that her sins are forgiven. That's really bad theology and you need to be careful of that. We don't earn the forgiveness of God by our good, righteous actions. We don't wash feet in order to be forgiven. We don't pour out expensive perfume in the hope that God might turn his heart to us and forgive us. The word for your sins are forgiven here is in the perfect tense in the Greek. The perfect tense basically means this. It, it means there's been an action in the past that has an implication on the present. So what he's saying to her is your sins were forgiven in the past. In other words, he's declaring to her and to Simon and everybody else in that room in that moment that this woman has experienced forgiveness before. And because she knows that she has been forgiven before, she is so filled with love that she's come here today to do these things, not in order to get forgiveness, but because she has been forgiven. Her extravagant act of love is not the cause of her forgiveness. It's the response to her forgiveness. Are you with me? And Jesus is making this point so that Simon would understand something that's so fundamental and so true, that there is a direct link between our ability to receive forgiveness and the healing that that creates in us and our ability to actually offer true love to others. Jesus is saying there's a link between forgiveness and love. One of the most powerful things as human beings that we can understand is that link. Jesus says, literally, those that have been forgiven much love much. Those that have been forgiven so little love little. This is Jesus opening up a healing journey for Simon. Jesus understands that the removal of a problem is not necessarily the healing. But the healing actually needs to go deeper than that. But the healing that we all need is only found in the power of a forgiving God and in our deep understanding of that forgiveness 
I'm sure this woman was not proud of some of the mistakes and things that she had done in her life. But she could love extravagantly because she had first been loved. Because God had poured out his love in the power of forgiveness in her. And that changed everything about her. And here's the thing for us here in Hong Kong. I tell you this. Hong Kong is in need of healing. Amen? It's in need of the redeeming and restoring healing love of God. You are in need of the healing love of God. And I want to say it as strong as this. There will be no healing for Hong Kong. There will be no true restoration for the social unrest and the pandemic unless the church can become a vessel of God's love again. And the only way we become a vessel of God's love is through the doorway of forgiveness. And you're tempted sitting here to think because things are reopening, my life will be able to flourish again. And I'm here to tell you, as hard as this word is, that the only way your life is going to flourish out of the back of these three years that we've all experienced is if you allow a bit more forgiveness into your life. If you allow yourself to process some of the trauma that you're feeling. If you stop and say, I will not put a band-aid on how I am right now. Holy Spirit, come. Because I need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven of our words, of our attitudes. We need to be forgiven of our judgmental negativity. This is the interesting thing to me. I think the great danger for us emerging from this fifth wave is this, that we would emerge more like Simon and less like the anointing woman. And we will emerge that way because we haven't dealt with the things that really need to be dealt with. And we will become more judgmental because there's stuff inside of us that has been difficult, because there have been decisions made that have rightly annoyed us. Because we haven't been able to do some of the things that we, we'd wanted to do. And those things are true and real for every single one of us. And they create frustration and anger and, and all this thing inside of us. And if we're not careful, we're going to be more like Simon. Judging the people around us. Judging the government. Judging individuals. Judging the church. Judging our boss. Judging our businesses. Judging everything. Being cynical and critical. Because we haven't dealt with the trauma that's real in us. And Jesus says... To Simon, do you see this woman? She loves extravagantly because she's been forgiven deeply. And as you emerge from this fifth wave, let me gently say to you, do you see that woman too? Are you willing to open yourself up this week and over the next three weeks to be reopened to the healing work that God needs to do in your life? And it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness for the things that I have done. Asking God to forgive me for my brokenness and for my thoughts and my actions. Forgiving myself, because that's sometimes the hardest person to forgive. And then going to others that I've hurt or wronged and asking for their forgiveness. And, and then in that, forgiving and releasing others. Jesus in scripture connects forgiving to the year of blessing. The year of blessing, the year of jubilee. That was always about release of three things. Debt, the full release of debt, which is the story that Jesus connects us to. 
The second thing was the release of the land. Anybody who had been taken away from their land can go back to their land and own it again. The third thing was release from slavery. I want you to know that your forgiveness, your act of forgiveness will release you from the debt that you carry. It will plant you firmly in the ground again for a place of flourishing. And it will break the slavery you're feeling right now to your emotions and your brokenness and the anger and the fear and the anxiety. That's what forgiveness does. It releases. Would we be released to truly be a church of love? Because the only way this city will heal is with the love of God. And the only way the love of God will come is if the people of God know they're forgiven. Let's do the work so that we can be the people God calls us to be. I want to have you just close your eyes with me and open your hands. I want to pray. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful. So grateful, God, for this season we're in. We're grateful for the lifting of these measures, for the fact that we can gather in this room again today. What a wonderful thing that is. Father, we're grateful for your hand on our city. We're grateful for the many mercies that there have been in the last three months. Father, we're also aware of the challenges and the emotions that those things have created in us. Father, we would be wrong to reopen society with closed hearts. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now for every person in this room. Lord, where our hearts are more like Simon, where we find ourselves critical, cynical, frustrated, Father, we don't need more Simons in Hong Kong. But Father, for us to shift from Simon to the woman, we need forgiveness. We need to encounter that same power of love and forgiveness that she encountered. And we need it to come and truly do the work in our hearts. Because the removal of the problem is not necessarily the healing, but the healing comes through the processing of the trauma. And Lord, would you teach us how we do that? And we know that it begins in forgiveness. I want you to take a moment right now. Maybe if you're comfortable, just open your hands where you're sitting. If this is speaking to you, if you want to respond this morning, it's just a simple thing online or in this room. Just open your hands. By opening your hands, it's not anything special, but it's just a posture of receiving. And the Holy Spirit really honors your heart. And He sees where you're at. And I believe that you need forgiveness. And I want you just to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and show you what areas he wants you to deal with today. There'll be some other areas tomorrow and next week, but in this moment. See, the Holy Spirit is a kind, gentle person that leads us to repentance. The woman was not perfect. She knew she had done some really bad things. Peter was not perfect. He knew he had done some really bad things. But what made the difference between them and Simon in this story was forgiveness and love. I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, you would move in forgiveness over this church, 
Lord, I pray you would move in forgiveness over every individual here today. Father, we need it. And Father, we thank you that in your forgiveness comes what we see in this woman's life, love, joy, gratitude. And so Lord, I pray that as we have this time of forgiveness in your spirit, out of that would emerge a celebration in our hearts and a love that this city so desperately needs. That it wouldn't be a fake love that we try to stir up as a church, but it would flow from the place of forgiveness. So take a moment. And in a moment, the band will come and lead us, but just take a moment now. Don't rush this. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you beautifully. He loves you deeply. He's not angry at you. He's not Simon. He's not judging you. He's Jesus. And he's saying, do you see this woman? That could be you too. Come to me. Come to me.